Welcome to the Voice of Truth radio show, folks. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, accompanied by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey. We're the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. So, on the Voice of Truth radio show, we'll be engaging in vigorous, robust discussion on culture, history, current events, all from a biblical perspective. You can uh, find our podcast, by the way. If you want to hear past shows, Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger is where we podcast. A-Z-I-N-G-E-R is how you spell Azinger. And you can catch our show every Thursday at 5 p or Saturday at 3 p uh, 3 p.m. So how you doing, Pastor? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. All right. So I uh, had a little... Uh, Adventure over the weekend. Oh, yeah. Adventure is yep. always good. You don't want your weekends to be boring. That's the thing. <laughs> well, it was Amish country, so as much fun as you can have in Amish country. <laughs> the adventures of Amish country. At the Jorgensen Farm. Usually that involves a lot of food for me. That's my yes. adventure. So. Uh, yeah, definitely. But uh, So my, my uh, niece got married. Uh, she was, uh, she was uh, studying in Spain like, I don't know, two, three, four years ago, something like that. For a semester, you know, they kids do that. They go over to some foreign country, and she's at Spain. She met meets this guy who's not from Spain. He's from America, also, the great uh, Pacific Northwest. He is the quintessential stereotype of a, a Pacific Northwest guy. He fights uh, fire, fire, uh, forest fires, and has a big beard, big tall guy. He looks <laughs> lumberjack. like a lumberjack. He does, <laughs> but just a great, a great kid. Both of them. Uh, 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 just really happy for him. So that's where we were. We were in Columbus over the weekend in uh, 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 northeast of Columbus at a at a wedding in Amish country. Beautiful little place, uh, just off of two seventy north. The, you know the bypass that goes around Columbus two seventy north, out in the country, and uh, had a great time. So anyway, the the last uh, <clears throat> I was talking talk, talking to you about it before the. Uh, before we went on the air, but the last song they played at the reception was "Take Me Home, Country Roads." Because my niece is a West Virginia girl; she's born and raised Wood County, and uh, that's what they played. And uh, so I was, I was, uh, I was uh, during session last the during a session in Charleston. We have uh, the the Republican Senate has a, a meeting every morning, early in the morning, and I sit right next to. The uh, counsel for the Senate, the, the the lawyer. I sit by a lawyer. Why do I do that? It's an adventure, <laughs> all on its own. I'm sure. <laughs> so I'm giving them at this. So, uh, if I get arrested, what happens? You know, uh, how long do I serve for this? <laughs> no, I don't do that. But anyway, I, so I have uh, I have this uh, attorney I sit next to. We, we we're pretty tight. He's a good guy, and uh, we were talking about uh, country roads. Um, and uh, he tells me this story about how the song was written. So John Denver sings it. You know mm-hmm. John Denver. And even though you are uh, an Iowa boy, you know mm-hmm. the song, right? I do. And uh, uh, so he was telling me about how the song was written. And uh, John Denver took part of it. 
And I know a little bit about uh, songwriting just because I have a friend who does it. And uh, I have a friend who, who did quite well in songwriting in uh, Nashville. But um, so most songs, they're, they're, they're a, a collaboration, mm-hmm. you know, one or two, sometimes three. Very rarely, but sometimes even four. But usually it's one or two, maybe three. So Country Roads uh, was was uh, initially, uh, it was started by a, a married couple, couple named Bill Danoff and Terry Nivert. So they're, they uh, they were just out driving out in the country hmm. um, in Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> Does that even show up in the song? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Poor Maryland. Poor Maryland. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Nobody re- ever writes songs about Maryland. I've never heard one. <laughs> so they're out riding in the country, and they start this little jingle about, um, about these roads that they're riding on uh, out in the country. You know, country roads, is, I'm sure, is how it started. And uh, so this guy, this couple, this the the, the gentleman, the uh, uh, he would be John or uh, Bill Dana. He's from Massachusetts, so he wants to call it Massachusetts, but he's thinking, oh, I already, I already, uh, there's already a song about Massachusetts out there. So he, he he does West Virginia, and one of the reasons this guy from Massachusetts chose West Virginia is because when he was a young guy. Growing up in Massachusetts, a young boy, he used to listen to the program called, it's called uh, Saturday Night Jamboree. It came out of Wheeling, West Virginia. Mm. Wheeling has a big old radio station, um, WWVA, that's a, a, a very famous station. And he heard the the uh, Saturday Night Jamboree mm. living in Massachusetts. So he and his wife collaborate on this song. They bring John Denver in. Hey, John, do you want to do you want to record this song? John, he said, no, I don't. I don't like the song. <laughs> so they're going after Johnny Cash next. They're going to try to get Johnny Cash. So I think they provoked him to jealousy because then John Denver said, no, 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 I want it, I want it. <laughs> so John Denver comes in, and uh, uh, they needed a bridge to the song. You know, the bridge mm-hmm. that kind of connects other verses. If uh, a lot of songs have a bridge, and um, so Nivert, uh of the Danoff-Nivert team uh, writers, uh, he gets an encyclopedia out so he can learn more about West Virginia because he's from Massachusetts. And uh, so the first thing he comes across is rhododendron because that's the state flower. Mm-hmm. Rhododendron didn't make the cut, you may notice. It's a tough word to work into a song. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I'm thinking, no, nah, let's not do rhododendron. <laughs> so they kept working it and working it, and uh, they brought, uh, they put Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River, which is just a, a beautiful bridge. I, I love the whole song. It's beautifully mm. written. Yeah, you, West Virginians sing it so much, sometimes we, we don't listen to the greatness of the lyrics because yeah. they're really beautifully, beautifully written. But um, but the Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River, aren't uh, predominant in West Virginia, but they do go right through Jefferson County, which is in the eastern panhandle, uh, but they are predominantly Virginia uh, uh, landscapes and uh, geography. But we get they go through the Eastern Panhandle, so we claim them. So it's legal. Put them in the song. <laughs> check with your lawyer, but I think it's le- <laughs> I think, I think it's, it's legal. That's, yeah, We're good. I'll, I'll check with. <laughs> so um, anyway, it's a uh, it's a it's a great little a great tune. It's beautifully written. John Denver did it, 
And well, I know uh, it's so popular here. When we uh, when we first got here, of course, moved here uh, a little over a year ago uh, to become the pastor at Fellowship Baptist Church, and. Um, Boy, everybody kept talking about the song, you know, and I knew the song, but it had been years since I'd heard it. Oh, so yeah. I, I queued it up again, you know, uh, on our Did move you? out here and, and listened to it. And then our first Sunday here, instead of wearing the traditional dress shirt and tie and everything, I, I wore a shirt that said Almost Heaven. And then the rest of my, my crew, my family wore Country Roads. I remember that and, Sunday. And all of that. So. And I thought, okay. Uh, I knew this is a big part of this area. He's a wannabe. No, but that was a, that was a, that was a great little touch there. Yeah. Uh, very wise uh, putting, uh, putting uh, doing that. So, um, yeah, so it's played before every, uh, every home football game since 1972. My, uh, my son has a sweatshirt he bought when we were first here, and uh, it says, Q Country Roads, yeah. so we know what that <laughs> means <does>. now. <laughs> so what's cool is your kids will have, uh, see, your kids range age from? 18 all the way down to four. <laughs> 18 to four. <laughs> so, uh, but they will all have at least a, a taste of, of growing Absolutely. up. And you came from California, which is really quite remarkable. I mean, that's a, that's a big move. And people ask me a lot. They say, well, how are you adjusting, especially to, to like the weather and the yeah. geography yeah. and everything? And I'm going to be honest with you. We love the changes of weather. I mean, in Southern California, it's beautiful. And it's beautiful all the time for the most part. I mean, you're, you're in like the 70s in the winters. You're getting down to like, I don't know, the 40s or whatever. It's not, not a big deal. But uh, here we like the snow and we like the rain mm-hmm. and we like the thunderstorms. And boy, spring is gorgeous here. I mean, it just is. all the colors when the, the leaves are blooming. So I can see where this could be a spot that could inspire some good lyrics, too. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, West Virginia is uh, uh, the least of all the states, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, but it, it's a it's a really really beautiful state mm. with a, a lot of a lot of good people. In Absolutely. It. So we're glad you're here, and uh, so we're going to um, let me just the next segment, uh, Pastor. We're going to talk about um, the the decline in membership of mm. churches. It's just very troubling. Just really really falling. Yeah. Uh, quickly and some interesting things about that that'll be a good segment and mm-hmm. and i, I want to get your opinion on a lot of this uh a lot of these things in this uh it's a gallup poll mm-hmm. and everybody knows who gallup is um but it's it's uh, and, and what's interesting is you know the things that we're going to talk about in this gallup poll a lot of it's reflected in in even um church uh, administrative polls that, you know, like the Barna group and, and other groups that poll on these issues mm. to make sure that churches understand the dynamics of what's happening in culture. And uh, a lot of the information is correlated right over to these other polls as well. So it's definitely an issue. It's, yeah. it's something that is, is so, needs to be talked about, really. Yeah, okay, and we'll talk about it. Then we'll do a, um, an anniversary of the Battle of Lexington, Lexington and Concord. And that is the where... Um, the shot heard around the world uh, occurred, and we'll, we'll just do a little history on that because it's really fascinating, and how God worked in it. Uh, one of the thing that uh, one of the things that that troubles me greatly is how our our uh, history is sanitized. Mm-hmm. It's scrubbed of any any reference to God, and it's very sterile and uh, secular. And of course, it's impossible for history to be secular right. because God, the creator of the universe, does not uh, pull back Mm-mm. and uh, watch. He's not the the uh, uh, the watchmaker that 
that uh, winds the clock and sits back yeah. and watch. Uh, he is the God who's intimately involved in all the affairs mm-hmm. of men. So we'll talk about that also. But up next, we're going to uh, we're going to talk about this poll um, on church membership and what's going on in the church. And uh, uh, so we'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio Show with State Senator Mike Azinger, Pastor Brian Leversey. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show with your host, State Senator Mike Azinger and Pastor Brian Leversey right across the room from me in the chair. We're just three feet away, right? Now three. That's that's legal now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, should, I shouldn't have said that. The cops are going to go. But three, and because we both have five masks on, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. We don't. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> um... Yeah, so it was six feet. What, what was the six feet thing? Six feet is because of what? The, well, the, the, the coronavirus wasn't supposed to will, travel over six feet. Right? right, and it wasn't supposed to, it was supposed to live on surfaces for about 20 years. <laughs> and um, I don't expect to live that, live that long. <laughs> I think maybe I got maybe 10 more years, maybe. <laughs> oh, you'll, you'll do better than that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hope you're being prophetic. All right, so we're going to we're gonna talk about this Gallipult, and um, where did I come across this? I forget, but it's a fascinating uh, a fascinating poll in, in just how uh, precipitously things have fallen off in the church. Mm. So I'm just going to go through this, Pastor, and we'll get your input on it, because uh, you've been pastoring how many years? Or in the ministry, how so many So in the ministry, I've been pastoring, I was eight years with my father as an assistant pastor, yeah. and I was 12 years in planting a church in Southern California, and then I've been here a little over a year. So you've so. been uh, over 20 years yeah. in the ministry, so that's a long time, and uh, you get certainly a, a good perspective on this. So American... Americans' membership and houses of worship continued to, de- uh, to decline last year, dropping below 50% for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trend. Mm-hmm. So Gallup's been doing this poll for 80 years. The first time they've seen uh, church membership decline, be- decline below 50%. Mm-hmm. So in 2020... Forty-seven percent of Americans said they belong to a church, and they talk about synagogue and mosque too. But look, they're being PC here because uh, less than one percent of the population yeah. is a mosque. Okay, so we're talking churches here, and synagogues obviously also. But 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 we're talking churches. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, so from here on we'll just truncate it to to churches because that's what that's where uh, 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 the gospel is preached. So down from. 50% in 2018, and here's the thing, 70% in 1999. So, Pastor, from the time Gallup started the poll in the 1930s, uh, church membership was at 73% when they started it. And that number stay, stayed steady, uh, dipping maybe one or two down, one or two up, all the way to uh, the year 2000. In 2000, they would do like three year, uh, three year spans of of this poll, I think. Uh, so then, then the drop off started from 70 percent in 2000, and it had been 70 percent roughly from the previous 80 years, to 64 percent, 
in 05, 61% in 2010, and on down to 2020 uh, at 47%. It's just staggering. To, to to see it drop like that, and this is this is a, a bit of context that maybe we can put into this as well. Is really when they're talking about church membership, and and again, I don't know all the details of the poll and how it's done, but I would expect that when they talk about church membership, what they're really talking about is church attendance overall. I mean, these are people that probably aren't uh, what we would classify as members in the in the sense that they uh, actually are enrolled in the membership of a church that they attend maybe every single Sunday at the very least. That's probably not even what we're talking about when we're polling and talking about church membership. This probably is more reflective of church attendance because Mm. what I find is even when people are probing how to become part of the church that I pastor, um, this idea of membership is foreign. And a lot of churches I knew in Southern California weren't even accepting membership. There was no membership of the church it was just people who came and attended. They classified as as attenders and, and yeah. members and would show up on polls like this. So mm. it's. I think that the participation aspect of church membership has probably even declined more severely than these numbers have. That's the sad part. Well, uh, what happened in 2000, I think, is, is, is a question. So the, the poll is basically saying, look, you got— You've got a uh, well. Uh, let's dissect it a little bit. Decline in membership tied to increase. This is the next uh, sub headline in the uh, in the article. Decline in membership tied to increase in lack of religious affiliation. So this new term that's been around. I first heard it probably ten years ago. Mm. Uh, it's called nuns. N o n e s. These mm. are these are people, mostly young people, pastor that uh, have no religious preference or affiliation at all. They just look say, look, you know, no, I'm man, I don't care. Uh, I don't have, nope, don't care. I'm apathetic, not interested. The, the decline in church membership is primarily a function of the increasing number of Americans who express no religious preference. Now listen to this. Over the past two decades, the percentage of Americans who do not identify with any religion at all None has grown from 8% in uh, 98 to 2000, 13% in 2008 to 2010, because that's how the polls are done these three years. They do it over a three year period. I don't want to confuse. It's hard, it's hard to, to do numbers on the radio, but uh, uh, so let me just start over again. Over the past two decades, the percentage of Americans who do not identify with any religion has grown from 8% in 1998 to 2000 to 13% in 2008 to 2010, and 21% over the last three years. So the number of people to say, look, I have no religious preference. I'm not interested. I'm apathetic. Maybe they just have never been reached or, or addressed with the gospel, but it's grown from 8% in 2000, 13% in 2010, 21% over the last three years. So it's almost, uh, it's been two and a half times since 2000, mm-hmm. the number of people who have become just nuns, N-O-N-E-S, no religious affiliation yeah. at all. And it's so sad, but I, I don't think it's rocket science to figure out why this is happening. Um, when you look at the way our culture is structured, it's structured today far differently than it was 20, 30, 40, 50, even 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. And back at that time, we still had a heritage. And what I mean by that 
is primarily the parents spoke into the children's lives. So, so parents were like, like even as, as mentioned in scripture, which is so important that, that our children are a heritage of the Lord. And we pass this heritage down to our children. And, and back in that time, while we did have public education, public education even was influenced through scripture. It was influenced through biblical principles and a history that was tied to our founding documents and founding fathers and an understanding that God played uh, this this huge foundation in the forming of our country. And parents would pass that on. And then you you find this point where the Bible and prayer and and curriculum was was in a transfer over. It was transferring our culture from one that was based in Judeo-Christian values, mm-hmm. and it's transferring it into secularism, into secular humanism, and as we know now, into really a Marxism and a, a communism and a socialism, which, which by the way, extricate God from culture mm. and really set up the government to be God. Yes. So, so we find now we're on this precipice because we pulled God out of the schools, uh, where do where do kids spend most of their time? It's not under their parents' tutelage anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not parents passing down their heritage. And, and we may have uh, parents generationally who are strong believers and believed in God, but if your kids are never home with you and they're always out uh, being taught about the secular ideals and secular humanism and this heritage isn't being passed down, that's how you end up with these nuns. That This is exactly what happened with the children of Israel, right? They turned their hearts away from God. They weren't raising their children to obey the laws of the Lord anymore. They went after the heathen nations and and married the heathen, you know, populations. Yep, right. And it began to dilute very slowly and then very quickly the connection to these 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 you know, God, godly values. And that's exactly what's happening in our culture today. It is. Uh, you know, America from its founding, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, a little bit of a student on, on American history because it, it, it fascinates me. I love, I love our heritage. I love our beginnings, you know, the genesis of the whole nation. Look at Jamestown in 1607, Pastor. 150 men landed on the shores of Cape Henry. Uh, they brought the preacher along, Reverend Hunt, they planted a cross in the shores of Cape Henry, and they prayed. Yeah. Uh, the Mayflower Compact, 1614, the pilgrims came to America. And on the ship, before they landed, they wrote the Mayflower Compact, and they said why they're here. Mm-hmm. They're for the glory of God, A, and B, for the spreading of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. That's why they came. They said why they came. You don't hear that, but that's why they came. And they set up a country— uh, and by the way, it was a it was a uh, it was a political. The Mayflower Compact was the first civil body politic, is the word or the mm-hmm. words they use. It was a political uh, a paper also because God's the Lord of the harvest. He's Lord of everything. He's Lord of our politics. And Christians have pulled out of yeah. politics. Uh, why did God not create government? Also, He did. Yeah. And, uh, and when Christians aren't involved, we lose. Uh, we lose so many things, but but the, so the Bible was was taught in schools for 350 years yeah. until 1962. It was the basis of our curriculum. It was the foundation yeah. of it, and uh, like you said, we we taught the Constitution, yep. the Declaration of Independence, which are which are are rich in a bi- biblical principle and uh, and scripture and the in the history of of. Uh, of the the principles in in the deck and in the constitution are are rich in scripture mm-hmm. and uh, uh, 
that's our history. And this is heartbreaking that, that so many people now don't even identify with any type of heritage that springs forth from Scripture in, in our nation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a pastor, I'll have conversations with many people all over the country, and a, a lot of people in their, you know, mid-60s to um, mid-70s wring their hands, and they're like, boy, I, I can't believe that my grandchildren and my children, they're not connected to a church, they're not going to a church, they're not faithful to a church. Well, let's look at what's happened in our culture. How much interaction do parents have with their children anymore in passing down any type of wow. biblical heritage? Yeah. We have the internet, we have social media. Uh, a, a big part of the church culture is that fellowship of coming together. And now people would rather be online uh, watching things, streaming. They'd rather be uh, friending people in this situation where they can kind of make and cater to their own needs based upon what type of relationship they have and what kind of interaction. There's no self-sacrifice. Mm. All of these virtues that come from the Spirit of God, these spiritual uh, fruits that that spring forth from His Word, they're really missing in a lot of people's lives because we have dissected ourselves away from the culture of the church. Really, America reflected the culture of a church for a long time. You yes. know, we were talking about the front porch for a little while yeah. and the yeah. community that people used to have, even in their own neighborhoods. Uh, you know, now we just kind of drive into our garage, put down the garage door, go into our house, and what do we do? We're not talking to the neighbor. We're not talking nope. to our kids. Right. We're turning on the TV. We're getting on the internet. And all of that is shaping our hearts and minds. And it's shaping it not mm. towards God, but towards secular humanism and toward the idol of this world. So it's no wonder that we have this problem happening even in the church today. Well, um, you make great points, and I, I think that um, I, I, I don't even remember where I read it, but uh, how many times we read about the, the statistics of the a, uh, average number of minutes that parents and their children interact. Hmm. They interact with TV. They interact with their phones. They interact with their kids on social media, and uh, which is a, which is a, a, a false community. Hmm. It's not real, and uh, uh, the, the the irony of, of friends. Look, I'm a Facebook guy. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be a hypocrite. Right. I, I get on and Facebook. I use it. I think it's a good tool. Yes, right. But uh, but you friend somebody. You you have all these friends on Facebook that you don't even know. So the paradox of having a friend that you've never met, <laughs> but they call it friends because it's it's partly meant to deceive you. Yeah, you got a friend and another friend and another friend and another friend. And, uh, you know, you, you share these, these playground terms they use that you share and you like and you, uh, you know, all these. They're, they're kind of juve, it's juvenile-ish, but, but you spend a lot of, uh, it's easy to spend a lot of time on there. And my wife has said, honey, put the phone down. And so I've been guilty of it, too. But your children will talk to you, right? They will talk to you just out of nature. My, my boy, uh, especially my middle son, he's just sitting and he'll just start talking because he wants to connect. He wants to connect, and that's what kids do. So let me just go here a little bit deeper in this poll and get your opinion. So general, uh, this is the next headline, Generational Differences Linked to Change in Church Membership. And you touched on this, but church membership is strongly correlated with age. This is from the article. As uh, So 66% of traditionalists, that's what he's calling the old folks, uh, that's adults born before 1946, 66% of traditionalists belong to a church, 58% of baby boomers, so let's just call the traditionalists the greatest generation, that's who they are, uh, so their children, the baby boomers, it's 58%, 
The baby boomers' children, which are Gen Xers, goes down to 50%. Mm -hmm. And the Gen Xers' children, the millennials, goes to 36% of church membership. So the traditionalists, those are the World World War II generation, 66% of those folks go to church. You go three or four generations down, it goes from 66% to the millennials at 36%. It's almost half. And I think that speaks to exactly what I was talking about. It's just, it's the pullback on passing on a heritage. It just really is. That's And that's right. And uh, 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 it, it's it's that way in, in so many uh, so many areas of life, you know, you uh, and one thing I've noticed, I was going to bring this up uh, a minute ago when you were talking, but you, but you were talking about the, the parents passing down the the heritage to the children, mm-hmm. the Bible, the you know the the Bible base uh, the Bible based uh, philosophies and, and standards and principles that we live by and believe in, and a lot of that changed in the '60s. By the way, everything changed in the '60s. We took the Bible out of school, prayer out of school. But here's a pair uh, a paradigm that I'm seeing that I've noticed in the last 10, 20 years. And instead of the parents passing down their moral beliefs to the children, the children are passing up mm-hmm. their moral beliefs to their parents. Yeah. You know, the parents... That's a good point. The parents are so weak. We're so weak in what we believe. We've been marinated mm-hmm. in, in, in secularism and moral relativism. We don't know what we believe. We, we, don't, we have no confidence in what we believe. And you can't have confidence in what you believe if, if you don't believe in absolute truth yeah. in Scripture. So you have, you have these, these children, and this is a little bit of a sensitive topic, but this is where I notice it, so I have to make the point. You have these children, a lot of kids coming out. They're saying, okay, look, you know, I'm, I'm a homosexual. I'm coming out. This is why I bring this up, because this is where I first yeah. noticed it. And then the parents, because they love their kids, say, okay, that's okay. Yeah. I, I, I defend that. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't take my child and say, look, this is not right. This is not best for you. This is not where you want to go. Instead, they accept, they accept the narrative mm-hmm. that, that the homosexual lifestyle is okay. Well, even before that, they begin to accept the free love lifestyle of marriage not really being important. And well, I guess you can live with somebody without being married. And I guess you can enter into promiscuous relationships to find out who the who the one is. So, yeah. I mean, there was a there was a whole transition culturally that was taking place as the Bible was being removed. But this is a sad thing. It's not just on parents that are not passing down a heritage. The church itself is not passing down its heritage because the church has changed in order to try to bring people in. It's more entertainment oriented, seeker it's friendly, more focused not on the principles of God's word and a heritage. I mean, when was the last time that you were in church? And there was any kind of information given in a class or in even a message where they talked about people who had given their lives for um, the religious freedoms that we have or where it was talked about that there were martyrs who actually bled and died. No, we instead want to get Mm -hmm. up and we want to play, you know, secular music and we want to jump around and we want to make people feel good. And we essentially want to put on a concert and an entertainment venue. So we hope we can save the church. The only thing that's going to save the church is the savior of the church. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he needs to be preached and he needs to be lifted up and he needs to be declared. And I'm going to tell you something. This is not the first generation or country that, that hasn't desired to follow God. 
God's own people often didn't desire to follow him. And it was never entertainment that saved them. It was always the prophet that would come in or it was the word of God that would come in that would convict people's hearts and truly draw people back. The Great Awakening that gave us uh, the American Revolution uh, came about because American uh, America had gone into a law, a spiritual mm. law. Even back then, even prior to the American Revolution, I always think of uh, you know the the uh, forefathers. You have the forefather generation. That's the, the the folks that came right at the beginning. And then you have the founding fathers, which is the the founding generation mm-hmm. of the Constitution and so on. But the forefathers, they were obviously godly people because they were fleeing persecution. Uh, religious persecution, mm-hmm. and they were they were godly people, but the generations after that started getting mm-hmm. cold and tired, yeah. and so on. We get comfortable, and then we capitulate. Sure, and uh, so then we had uh, Whitfield and Wesley and, and other uh, preachers that brought about the uh, you know God gave us the the uh, the Great Awakening, which which without which you could not have had the American mm-hmm. Revolution. It was the midwife of the American Revolution. All right, so we're going to take a break here, Pastor, and uh, we'll come back. Uh, a few final thoughts on uh, on this uh, Gallup poll, and then uh, we'll keep moving along. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio. We'll be right back. Back to the Voice of Truth Radio show. This is your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, with Pastor Brian Leversee, where you will experience the fusion of church and state. So we're talking some about church, Pastor. And uh, this we talked the, the last segment about uh, the Gallup poll that came out, talking about the trending down of uh, church membership, church attendance is, is uh, the point that you made. This mm. is probably... Church, just basically church attendance, yeah. and we're seeing a twenty-one percent drop. I believe it was, um, or twenty-one percent of the of the folks are are uh, nuns. N o n e s. No, no church affiliation yeah. affiliation at all. And uh, uh, so, my question is, why, you know, why is this happening? Do you think why why are folks uh, not going to church like they used to, and and uh, why are we seeing after s- the Gallup poll went from 1937 to 2000 mm. uh, with a steady church ma- uh, attendance of uh, right around 70 percent, mm. and then in uh, uh, right around 2000 it f- it starts falling off. It, mm-hmm. You know, for, to uh, I, I don't know that I could speak, um, you know. Uh, directly to what the all the causes would be. I think there are several of them, uh, just based upon what I know was going on uh, in in the Christian world during that time as well. Is you saw a rise, I think, towards the end of the '90s, the beginning of the 2000s, of uh, a reorientation of church, and it began to secularize itself, not only in the entertainment value and the seeker-sensitive kind of movement, but also philosophically. Um, you had books written that really focused more on an individual's experience than mm. it did on investment and sacrifice. And so you you ended up with a lot more uh, Christian spiritual gurus than you did a focus on a community of believers that came together to learn the Word of God. Uh, this is where the, the big uh, motivational speaker crowds begin to really blossom. This is when there was a lot of self-inflection that was being taught. Um, there was a lot of uh, self-actualization. There was a lot of um, just this kind of motivational 
presence of Christianity. And and so the church, you know, you saw a lot more books being written by Christian authors and a lot more, um, uh, I don't know, um, rallies and stuff that, that people would go to. Parachurch organizations mm-hmm. really begin to thrive. Mm-hmm. You know, even in the late 90s, you saw um, parachurch organizations like Promise Keepers and so on. And so people would affiliate more with this parachurch group than maybe the local church where really the heart of where people are taught and come together, uh, that started to go away. So I think that's part of it. Um, I think that another big part of it is that Christians became disillusioned with some of the abuses and things that were going on in the church uh, with our media uh, what it is today, we saw that when things happened, it was reported a whole lot more broadly. Um, I think that left a bad taste in some people's sure. mouth and speaks to why it's so important that we actually are the church. We don't just say we're the church, that mm. we're actually living the Word of God, that we're allowing uh, the Holy Spirit to work through our lives, and that we're staying true to, to the commandments of God. So I think those are two really big reasons why you, you see some of that uh, falling off there around that time period. You know, something that a point you, you just made, I, I think it, it uh, we, we went from focusing on Jesus Christ in the cross mm. to ourselves. Yeah, a lot of Christ, uh, a lot of contemporary Christian music has I I I in mm. it. It's all about me. Yeah, you know what I will do. I will worship you. I will sing your praise. I will this. I will never forsake you. Well, Peter said that, and he did. Right. I, I'm real careful to say you know what I will do because I know me. I'm right. uh, I'm made of flesh, and I can right. I can be a traitor of the Lord as as easy as Peter was, and yeah. and way faster because I, you know, I don't <laughs> deserve to shine his his sandals, right? So it's all about it, it became about me and mm-hmm. I and money and and uh, glory and and uh, Jesus talked uh, none about becoming a millionaire, That's right. right? He he didn't know where he was going to be lay his. I don't have a I don't have any place to lay my head at night is right. what Jesus said. So. Um, and then I think people don't understand what church membership is. I think they think it's, oh, man, I, I'm going to join something that maybe I like, and I'm going to get a coupon book and a discount on my gas, you know. And <laughs> what they what they don't realize is that to be a member of a church means that you're part of a body. Like, when you wake up every day, I'm glad my, my feet are there and that my hands are there and my fingers are there. And when you become a member of a church, it's about identifying in your belief with God, with a body, so that you will connect to it, and you will serve with it, and you will invest in it. And I think that we've seen this idea of commitment and investment diluted in our culture, too. People aren't getting married. People aren't focusing on families. People are all about themselves, and that doesn't translate over into being a member of a church very well. And so what I saw happen is I saw a lot of churches not even keeping membership anymore. They basically opened their doors to whoever would come in, which is fine. I mean, everybody should be able to come into a church, but you should be gravitating toward a more invested role in a body of believers. I want to be a finger in this church. I want to be a hand in this church. I want to be a foot in this church. I want to be used by God to connect with this body on a committed basis where I'm I'm self-sacrificing, not looking for the latest, greatest experience. What I saw a a lot in my ministry so far is a lot of people would bounce around from congregation to congregation, never really becoming a member. But if they had this show over here, or if they had this concert over here, if they had this special speaker over here, they looked at the church as just this whole bunch of buildings I can walk into and have experiences. And it, mm. it didn't become about connecting for the purpose of me serving God with a body of believers. You know, the old churches, and this is a metaphor, I think, the old churches had graveyards in the backyard, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. So that, that meant... To me, that uh, people stayed a long That's time. Right. They stayed in yeah. the church, and they died there, 
and Grandma and Grandpa were buried out back, and that can have a adverse effect too. Because sometimes <laughs> you should leave, but uh, but they were there for the long haul in the old days, and they had front porch on their houses That's back right. then. Too. That's right. <laughs> All right, so um, we're going to talk just a second here about the Battle of Lexington. Now, this is a uh, this is a, a great story. This is the shot heard round the world. We're gonna we're not gonna spend a long time on this, but the reason I'm bringing it up is um, because I wanted to. But it's a uh, uh, an anniversary, April nineteenth. So today is we're recording on the twentieth. Is that yeah? Twentieth. So yesterday uh, was the the um, anniversary, seventeen seventy five. You're talking about uh, this is. Uh, the precursor to the American Revolution, and this is the story of Paul Revere. The British are coming, you know, one if by land, two if by sea. Mm-hmm. The lanterns, the lanterns. You know what kind of building the lanterns were put up in to to warn the uh, the uh, the patriots? It was in a church, mm-hmm. put in a church. Now, here's something else too. Um, this is from an article uh, in the Virginia Christian Alliance called The Battle of Lexington, and it's by Stephen McDowell and Mark Belisle. But, uh, so let, let's, let's take a look at, at how integral the church was to the American founding. Mm-hmm. These, these folks, you know, that's how they lived. It was their life. It, mm-hmm. was, it was the culture, God, church, preaching, uh, revivals. Uh, these this was a young man's revolution. Mm-hmm. the The founding fathers were mostly young men. You know, Franklin was in his eighties. He was kind of an aberration. The, these were all young men: Madison, uh, John Adams, Samuel Adams, and and uh, Thomas Jefferson, and so on. So, the most historic band of Minutemen was led by Deacon Parker, mm-hmm. or really a deacon. That was his mm-hmm. name, under the auspices of Reverend Jonas Clark. So. Jonas Clark was the pastor of uh, a church in Lexington, Massachusetts. So this is Lexington and Concord, the Battle of Lexington and Concord. And it occurred on the green, they call it the green, the, the, uh, uh, the, the yard of a church. Mm-hmm. The Minutemen were members of the church uh, of Reverend Jonas Clark's. He had trained them. He had prepared them for this very the very hour when the British would come and they would stand and fight. So almost, uh, let me continue with the article, almost every crucial state paper was written by Jonas Clark. He was the pastor. He was the leader of the community. His home was a frequent meeting place for men like Samuel Adams and John Hancock. Hmm. These men would meet at the home of Reverend Jonas Clark. On the date of the Battle of Lexington and Concord, Samuel Adams and John Hancock were at the home of Reverend Jonas Clark. Hmm. That's where Paul Revere was heading. He was heading to the home of Reverend Jonas Clark. They hung out with preachers. Hmm. I don't recommend that. <laughs> uh, <you> be careful. <laughs> so get they, you in trouble. It'll get you in trouble. So they hung out with uh, they hung out with preachers. Um, so that's what happened on the, this was uh, on oh, the so go ahead. I had to interrupt that. Yeah. So are we really not the first fusion of church and state? Oh no. <laughs> What in the world? What in the world? I'm sorry to bring that up. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, okay. Here's the out. Okay. They, they didn't have a radio show. That's true. All there right. was no radio. That's, I think radio was like 
1777, I think. Okay, all right. Something we like just that. made it. Oh, that's funny. Adams and Hancock were visiting for the night, unaware that the British had decided to send troops to Lexington to destroy the town's military supplies. That's what they were coming to do. All right. Why was uh why were the British coming? They're coming to destroy uh the the arms and ammunitions in Lexington, Massachusetts. So one of Clark's house guests asked him on that night if the Lexington people would fight if necessary. Clark, who had laid a solid foundation concerning the duty of self-defense of inalienable rights, he had done this for years through his sermons. Mm. Clark responded confidently, I have trained them for this very hour. Mm. Now, uh, so... First shots of the war were providentially selected to be fired on his church lawn. So the British come. The Minutemen respond. This is in the, the, the early hours of the night, 1 o'clock in the morning. These Minutemen uh, prepared, and they were waiting for the British to come. Paul Revere comes out, and he comes to the house. He's, Paul Revere marches to the house of Reverend Jonas Clark. Hey, uh, Samuel Adams, who's the cousin of John Adams, by the way. Samuel Adams was there, and uh, he was he was there with uh, John Hancock. We all know who John Hancock mm. was. So he rides up to the house, and the uh, uh, the, the the house of Reverend Jonas Clark. It's it's protected by eight eight soldiers. They're there to protect the house. Uh, Paul Revere comes up and said, "Let me in. The British are coming to Lexington." And they said, "Well, the." Uh, the uh, the the folks of the house have requested that we not allow them to be disturbed, and, uh, and so Paul Revere said, uh, and they said uh, we we uh, they don't want any uh, any noise, please. And so <laughs> Paul Revere said, "Noise! You'll have noise enough before long. The British are coming out." And uh, so here they came. The British came, and the Minutemen came and uh, to defend. Uh, Lexington defend their country. These were farmers. These Minutemen. They were simple, simple men, simple farmers. But they were prepared in arms. They were trained in arms. Mm-hmm. Everyone was trained in arms back then. And uh, uh, so here comes the British, and the the British were led by a name uh, a guy named Pitcairn. And he said, "Disperse, ye villains, ye rebels! Disperse! Lay down your arms! Why don't you lay down your arms and disperse?" And you can hear that in a mm-hmm. British accent. <laughs> Which I'm not going to try. <laughs> the Minutemen are just got to stand around. What do we do? We don't know. You know, they've been trained not to shoot unless fired upon. Finally, the British fired on them, and then they really fired on them. Mm. Boom! The Minutemen responded in fire, but not with the well, not with great effect. Uh, so there was uh, there was eight men killed, ten wounded. But this was this was the shot heard round the world. The first the first. Uh, shots fired in the American Revolution and the first shots by the American patriots in mm. return. On, and a, on a church front lawn. On a church lawn, the mm. lawn of Reverend Jonas Clark. So mm. now, uh, Samuel Adams said, oh, what a glorious morning is this. These men saw that they might not have done great in this first battle, but this is it's on, mm-hmm. and we're prepared for it. And we know they were because we won. And uh, Reverend Jonas Clark said, from this day will be dated the liberty of the world. Mm. Now, this is what we were talking about uh, before we came, we came on the air. And, we, and uh, you've brought this guy up before on our show, Pastor. 
Um, so let me just read these two last paragraphs. The providential hand of God is evidence in this event. About a month earlier, so on March 22nd, the, uh, the shot heard around the world was April 19th. Almost a month early, March 22nd, the governor of Connecticut uh, called upon the colony, his colony of Connecticut, to observe a day of fasting and prayer that God would graciously pour out his Holy Spirit on us to bring us to a thorough repentance and the effectual Reformation so that he would restore, preserve, and secure the liberties of this and all the other American colonies. So the uh, Governor Trumbull called for a day of prayer and fasting for his colony of Connecticut. The date he called for prayer and fasting on March 22nd when he declared, look, we're going to have a day of prayer and fasting. Guess what date he he uh, set for his colony to have a day of prayer and fasting? Hmm. April 19th, 1775. Wow. The day the shots were the shots were fired hmm. that were heard around the world. So providentially, God put it in the heart of Governor Trumbull on March twenty second, seventeen seventy five, to have a day of prayer and fasting for his colony of Connecticut on April 19, seventeen seventy five, the same day that the shots uh, were that were fired that were heard around the world. Wow. And, you know, that's what I love about our history is that you can see the hand of God all throughout it. It's just amazing. And today, I think a lot of people in our circumstances say, well, what can I do about anything that I I disagree with? What can I do about the, the issues that I see in my nation? Hey, it'd be good to maybe go back to some of the things they practiced and maybe have some days of prayer and fasting. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great point. And, and without God, you know, uh, we just we just wouldn't have the nation we had. Mm-hmm. There's just no way. You know, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I put that verse yes. on every piece of, uh, uh, every flyer I put out, mm-hmm. every mailer. Blessed is the nation is, whose God is the Lord. So if God isn't your Lord, you're not blessed. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing God take away his blessing because we are moving away yeah. and turning our backs on God. All right, so um, look that article up. It's a great article, uh, a wonderful piece of history, and you see God's sovereign power and providential uh, providential power also in uh, in our early history. So we're going to talk about etiquette when we get back. We're gonna we got a list of fifty, Pastor. We're going to do the <laughs> first five. I want your input. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. You're listening to the fusion of church and state with State Senator Mike Azinger, Pastor Brian Leversey, Pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church, uh, where I also attend and uh, highly recommend it. All right, so, uh, Pastor, this is our last segment, and I want to do something fun. Uh, this is an article I found called 50 Little Social Etiquette Rules Everyone Should Follow. Do we still have social etiquette? I don't today? even know what that means. <laughs> You're not going to tell me where I, I need to put. Up. You're not going to tell me where I need to put my fork and spoon and everything. Right? <laughs> so, um, so this rang. Uh, this struck a chord with me, and I'm sure it would with a lot of people because we understand uh, intuitively that that we're losing <laughs> the common graces just a little bit. The etiquette, and uh, uh, when road rage is a 
is a word a phrase everyone understands. You know that that <laughs> things are going south. All right, so are you ready? Here's we'll do five a week for okay. you know whenever. Hit me. Number one, say please and thank you. Wow, <laughs> deep. We are we are so far removed from that though. I mean, it is. It, you know, what? you know what we learned to say today. We say, "Give me, I deserve it." Yes, that's that's that's, right. that's what we learned to say yeah. today. Yeah, and uh, uh, to be to be ungrateful. You know, we're made in the image of God. When somebody doesn't say thank you, mm. hey, hey, if you if you let somebody in uh, to pull in in front of you in the car and they don't wave, do you get offended? I, and we're not I, supposed to get offended, right? That's not Christian. Uh, uh, do you get? Uh, do you uh, make a note? I make. <laughs> I file it in the back of my mind. <laughs> it's like, I see you again. When someone lets me pull in, twice happened yesterday, I go out of my way. I'm waving. Absolutely. Hey, because I want them to know. I appreciate yeah. it. There is nothing worse than someone being ungrateful. Listen, I drove around a lot in, in Los Angeles, in Southern California. Oh and I'll tell you what, it is. there's no etiquette. There's no such thing as etiquette on the road. It's survival. The evolution. Yeah. It's, uh, the evolution oh, concept. yeah. So, um, yeah, but, I, I, but God does say to love the unthankful. Yeah. That's how does. you know that God's God. When yeah. he says stuff like that. Yeah. That you really don't like. And, and then you say, okay, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so please, all right, number two. Number two, let me pull it up my phone. Smile. Oh, my goodness. Smile. You know, it is it is amazing how undervalued a smile is. Let I, me let me uh, jump in because that's a great point. I told this story. We did these uh, last week with uh, Don Alford. Uh, I told the story of a guy my my uh, Sunday school class one time told the story of uh, I don't even I don't even remember where he read it I don't even know where it came from but uh, um, he told the story of uh, this gal who was walking toward a bridge to jump off or going somewhere to commit suicide somebody smiled at her and changed her mind wow just a smile wow you know, Anyone I, can smile. Yeah. I mean, I know it takes maybe uh, – I'm told, and I don't know. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know if it's true or not. I'm told it takes more muscle power to frown than it does to smile. I think that's true. So let's do that more. I and think animals can't frown or smile, can What's they? What's your favorite emoji? It's the smiley face. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what they send. That's right. People light up even when they get it on, on, on social media. Uh, I think emojis are mentioned in this list also. <laughs> oh, are they really? <laughs> <laughs> But um, emojis, I can't help but love emojis. I know. You know? I mean, and where's so that word? I think that's a Japanese word, emoji. Yeah. Does that not like sound like something? It does. Hear? I think so. All right, so number three, Sushi. hold the door for the person behind you. So you're walking out the door. Always look oh, behind you. I'm make sure guilty of this so much, <laughs> even with my wife, and I need to do better at it because you have the car clicker thing now. Yes. It used to be that well, it was a big this deal. Is, to... This is just this is a little bit PC because this is talking about you're walking out, say, uh, walking out of a store or wherever. So the... Look behind you to make sure you're not letting the door slam on the person behind yeah. you. Yeah. Now, this also talks about you know, in the old days. You would you would always open the door for a lady. Right. My dad always taught me. I always open the door. You were you were lower than dirt if you yeah. didn't open the door for, for yeah. a lady. That yes, was with you. Right. But now you get scolded by him. <laughs> well, exactly, and that's part <laughs> of the problem. But uh, in the old days, you know, when I was dating my wife years ago, I would go around and open the car door for her to get let her in on the passenger side, and I said, I was talking to Don Alfred about this last week. 
I said, do you do that? Because I thought, no, he won't, because he'll be like me, and he doesn't do it anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do that. Oh, no. Okay, so get out of the studio. <laughs> we don't want to talk to you anymore. We're done with you. Uh, but but also, you know, my dad always taught me when uh, when you're walking down the sidewalk, you always put the girl on the inside. Oh, yeah, you absolutely. Walk, you walk on the street side. and uh, You get hit by the car first, you, my dad always said. <laughs> you get hit by the car first. <laughs> that's right, and that's called chivalry yeah. and uh uh, so that's a good thing. I was I was at a gas station. I told Don the story. I was at a gas station, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago on prom night. And there was a girl in a dress pumping the gas, and the two boys were in the back seat on their phones. Oh, no. I said, I said, honey, do you want me to p- pump your gas for you? <laughs> it embarrassed her. She just kind of blew me. I, I, it was awful. Oh, I stared at man. those boys. I should have lectured them. Yeah. All right, so number four, step outside to answer phone calls. Oh man, this is the most annoying thing in the world. Have you have you been like in a closed spot? And oh, this okay. Yeah. So I, so not at this church. It's never happened at this church. <clears throat> but I've actually had people while I'm preaching, even as a guest in another church, where they have the phone is rang, and that happens. Yeah, yeah, it happens from time to time. But it's you shouldn't answer it while the sermon is going on. Oh my goodness! You should step out of the room. But I had this one time I was preaching, and they were right like three rows. <laughs> three rows up and the phone rang and it was this most ridiculous ring where everybody heard it and so they were already looking and then it's hello <laughs> right there in the church service oh man oh that's funny you would think that you would leave the room leave the room yes yeah, so that's number four now what's funny is this article folks look it up it's a great article uh on in town and country mag.com but it's got pictures of old folks from like the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm showing Pastor showing the picture. So this lady. This is, is when we used to do this stuff. <laughs> she's, a, she's, on the, she's on the old-fashioned phone like uh, from uh, Mayberry. Manners are important, though. You know, I think, I think parents need to do a better job of, of teaching manners. And I think that uh, a lot of our manners are eroding because – we talked about the front porch a little bit, but what about the dinner table too? Yeah, you know, I think there's there's a lot you can learn around a dinner table. I think there's a lot about just coming together and saying please and thank you. Oh, please pass the potatoes. Oh, let me not reach over you. Oh, let mm-hmm. me have you mm-hmm. go first. Let me pull out the chair for you. Let me and and we don't have those interactions anymore. And We're, manners are in, inherently Christian, I think, because they they uh, are not about you. Right. They're about about right. thinking about the the other person and making sure that you're not, you know, invading their space or being rude to them. It's about yeah. the other person because yeah. uh, and it's about sacrifice. It's about not being selfish, but being um, somebody who can give way to somebody else. Indeed. All right. So last one, number five. This is the last one for this week. Give people a pass. Give people a pass. Be merciful to them. Yeah. If they if they are you rude, to come down. maybe they're having a bad day. But uh, you know where we're taught not to do this now is in media. Nobody gets a pass. No. It, Critical you, race theory. Yep, nobody nobody it, gets a pass. Yeah, you'd never forgive. Yeah. But that's certainly not godly, is no, it? No, it's not. All right. Amen. So we're done for the week. Thanks for tuning into the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm your host, Pastor. I know you're the pastor. Uh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's it's opposite day. <laughs> Senator Mike Hazinger with Pastor Brian Leversey. Thanks for ju- uh, joining us today. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. I will choose to listen in.